Hello everyone, hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Alf Metallica, this is your host Tom Quee here, we are back, we are chatting Metallica, we are done with 72 seasons, we have moved on from the latest Metallica album, but we have lots of, lots more new Metallica music to talk about, we are talking about a very exciting solo project from Metallica, that being Kirk Hammett's Portals, we have already covered the first song, and today we are jumping onto the second song, The Gin. and just before I get into the song and the guest, I want to remind you of all the things I always say up top. Of course, the first thing is go back through the archive, you know, subscribe to the podcast and check out all the old episodes. We have covered every single Metallica song that has came up until this point, and we're going to be jumping into the blacklist soon. And also, if you want to come on the show, if you want to discuss, um, you know, some of the covers from the blacklist, basically the way I'm doing it is I'm going to be taking every song, all the 13 songs of the Black Album, and chopping them up into two or three episodes. So rather than doing... 11 episodes on Nothing Else Matters. We'll do two or three and, you know, Holy in the Now and that sort of stuff. So if you want to jump on, if you want to chat to me about Metallica, about the Blacklist, get in touch with me, please. Metallicapod at gmail.com. If you have any other correspondence as well, that's the best place, Metallicapod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter as well, at Metallicapod. We're on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, you get access to the next episode of the show right away. And I've also, at the time I'm recording this, I might be a few episodes ahead of this, but... um. I have just started a brand new video series that is a Patreon series that, you know, will slowly be drip-fed onto YouTube, but if you want to listen to it properly, if you want to watch it properly, you can head over to Patreon, and this is the So What Files. So I'm sure you're all aware that in 1994, Metallica kicked off their very own magazine, their very own fanzine called So What, which is an extraordinary publication it's a periodical really if anything it has so much detail about the band and so much kind of insider info and basically i've started this series called the so what files where you know if you've seen youtube you know how these things work these reaction videos so it's your boy in the corner in a little video box and it's so what pdf on the main screen and i'm scrolling from riffing on it i'm pointing out all the interesting pictures and tidbits and references and reviews and all that sort of stuff so if that sounds like your sort of bag and you want to listen to it before anyone else you can go on to patreon and check us out there i think that's about it we're on itunes on spotify all that sort of stuff but uh yeah you know this has been a really fun time bringing the show back we took quite a long break after we concluded the original run and you know we're now back in the swing of things of 72 seasons and i've loved bringing you know old friends from Alpatalica back on the show and new ones too and that is the case today you know very excited to have from augusta maine john john how's it going sir Tom, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am so excited to uh, be part of this podcast. Uh, and before we start off, I really want to say two two quick things. Mm. I was just thinking before we uh, signed on here, I and uh, to record, I was thinking about you have been uh, plugging on Twitter that um, you have a, an exciting guest that's going to be coming up, and I was yes. wondering if people are going to be seeing. Uh, my name listed on the on the episode uh, list here and thinking that I am John Taylor from uh, Duran Duran, the basis <laughs> from Duran Duran. And uh, I hate to break everybody's heart there. I'm not. I'm just a John Taylor, not the John Taylor. Uh, but I also uh, want to just say thank you uh, because your podcast has been uh, something that has reawakened my fandom for uh, Metallica. I was I was away from it for 20 years. I don't know. We'll probably get to that a little bit later yeah. or something like that. But this uh, this uh, really awakened my my fandom again. So I do. Uh, I want to say thank you for doing that. No, no, thank, thank you, John. And, you know, <laughs> I've heard that, you know, from a few people, really. And I do appreciate that. And, you know, I myself 
have had that through uh, Van Halen, for example. You know, I, I I love Van Halen as a kid, and then I've got into Van Halen podcasts, and that's really reignited, catalyzed my love. So, um, just before we get into portals and the gym and all that sort of stuff, I'm interested to hear about you and Metallica. From what I gather, you're kind of an archetypal '90s fan from that era, right? I am, I am. Uh, so I, I think I'm a little bit older than you. So, uh, but I was uh, the, when the Black Album hit. Uh, I was just at that right age. So I would have been 10 or 11 years old. Mm. My sister's a little bit older than me. I, I, I believe she had the Injustice for All album. And so, uh, and of course, growing up watching uh, MTV, uh, you know, one, uh, that oh, video course, yeah. really is ingrained in my head. Uh, and so I really, um, really did enjoy, um, you know, just... Yeah, I mean, that was just my... I mean, how could you not, right? That that video but, is just... That's one of those videos, isn't it? Like, regardless of Metallica, regardless of metal, it's just an iconic, uh, you know, piece of uh, piece of cinema, if you will. And, 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 like, going forward from that, like, how how was the load reload era when you were, like, what, four, <laughs> 14, 15? Like, was it a confusing yeah. time? Were you on the train? Like... Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it's very fascinating. I, I I was, let's see, it came out in 96. So I would have yep. been uh, just like 15 years old. I just yeah. like, that's the perfect age of, and uh, my, my friend's dad and I, and my friend, of course, uh, we went to the midnight, um, uh, you know, oh, selling of, of yeah, the yeah, album. Yeah. Uh, so I, re- I just remember that being a huge deal, Karma Records in Indianapolis. Uh, and it was just uh, fan- fantastic. And, you know, I bought like multiple albums uh, of, of Blood just because I was like, I'm going to have one that's sealed and, you know, it's <laughs> nice. going to be worth money and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's just crazy. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, Load is one of those. I, I know you're not a big fan of the Load Reload <laughs> era, but. I've I, covered it know, so Load much is... that it's kind of, I don't mind it now. You know what I mean? I've, I've talked about it right, for so right. long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like Load is 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 definitely one of those albums that I, that I go back to quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was kind of Reload that kind of like where I kind of shifted in it and I kind of lost interest in the band to be honest with you. Because mm-hmm. uh, like I really feel like that was kind of going towards that more new metal type sound. Yeah. And it really wasn't my my bag. Uh, but it's so funny after the uh, um, just over the last couple of years I've revisited that album and it's almost to me like. Um, you know, a good bad movie, kind of like The Room <laughs> or, or like Birdemic or something. Where you just, I hear you. I do. I, that's a good analogy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 And so I, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I collect vinyl now and, you know, I like to go back and get all the albums that, you know, from my, from my uh, formative years that weren't available on vinyl. I like to go back and get those now. And I, I told myself and I told my wife that, you know, I want to get, you know, and, you know, kill them all, all the way up to load, and then I don't want any more. And I was like, no, I got to get reload on the on vinyl yeah. too. And that's one of those that I that I'll, I'll go back to and jump onto a little bit. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do play a little bit of guitar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, my my first guitar I got at um, uh, oh my gosh, I would have been 14 years old for Christmas. I mean, yeah. and my sister's boyfriend at the time. He, the first rift I, I learned was Inner Sandman. Oh my course, god! Like you know. I, you know, I, I had an older cousin, but I always pay tribute on this podcast to older brothers, older cousins, sisters, boyfriends. Th- these sort of people are so important. Like you know, they really, they really are guiding lights. But um, 
You mentioned just one final thing on the history. So you mentioned good bad movies and stuff like that. Was Saint yeah, Ang- yeah. was Saint Anger a bad bad movie? What, what was your thoughts <laughs> on Saint Anger? Because I'm guessing you were like 2021. You know that's when our, our tastes are changing. Certain things we're yeah. rejecting from our past. Did you embrace Saint Anger? Because I'm a Saint Anger apologist. I always like to hear from people who were like you know an adult when it dropped. Because I was quite young when it dropped. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say it because I I kind of look at my years. Is like you know when I was in middle school, mm. I, you know I was really in you know kind of like uh, um, you know um, James Hetfield there, you know in, into Aerosmith, right? And then I I moved kind of more over to Metallica, and then uh, towards uh, the later years in high school and going into to college, you know I, I really turned more towards that jam band sound, you know. So right, right, right. Yeah, Fish, uh, Dave Matthews, that, oh, yeah. those type of things. Right. And uh, but uh, you know I re- I remember being in college and that album dropped. And I remember seeing the video for, I believe it was St. Anger. Uh, and I was just like, nope, halfway through the video. I was like, nope, this isn't me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I just never, ever uh, attempted to even try to listen to it or find the album. Uh, and it wasn't until, um, you know, uh, I started listening to the band again just a few years ago. I went back and I listened to it. And it's definitely not my jam, but, uh, you know, I can appreciate it for what it is. And I really do think I think I've heard people say it on your podcast, actually, mm. that, um, you know, if this was some other band, if it was not Metallica, but it was just another band, I think this this would have been considered a classic. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I can see I can see that that argument there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so getting forward now into portals. Did did this surprise you that the first member of Metallica to have a fully fledged solo project was Kirk? You know, out of all the people, it was Kirk. Right. Yeah. Like I, I find this very shocking that it took nearly forty years, if not yeah. forty years, for like one of the band members to come out with a solo album, right? And it's just mm-hmm. that's bonkers to me. And to think it is uh, Kirk, who isn't, you know, he's not he's not normally credited on most of the songs, right? It's usually James Pretty and Mark. Yep. So. Uh, you would think it, it would have been one of those two guys um, coming out with something. Now, I know that they uh, will uh, guest on other people's albums and songs and things like oh, yeah. that. But but to, yeah. to not have a fully fledged. I, I can't believe that it's been, you know, the, nearly 40 years, if not 40 years, that they ha- that they've done this. All right. To think that uh, it's Kirk Hammett, the first one to come out with a solo mm. album, is just crazy, considering his James and Lars are usually credited the most with all the songs, and you, so you think that they would do that yeah. uh, before him. Uh, but, uh, you know, knowing that they do guest uh, uh, on other people's albums, it's, it's um, you know, it's just it's insane to think that that would be differently that way. But I, I also think, like, I was also wondering what... Uh, Newstead would be thinking about this as well. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned uh, at the start of the episode uh, the So What files that I've started. And going back through the first issue, even, this is 94, this is the end of the Black Album tour, this is when they're working on Binge and Purge and stuff like that. Even in the news, they say, you know, Newstead's working on some new music, but this doesn't mean he's leaving, blah, blah, blah. And we all mm-hmm. know, in terms of some kind of monster, this Echo Brain was this huge kind of sticking point for them and stuff like that. But yeah. I think. I feel like it's, you know, indicative not only of the maturity of the band and, you know, James's willingness to to be a bit more flexible with it, but also Kirk has been there since Kill 'em All. You know, Kirk right. is not kind of like a not that Jason was a substitute at all. Obviously I worship Jason, he's a god to me. But, you know, undeniably 
they mourned Cliff through Jason, you know, and who wouldn't? That's just human. Like, I yeah. don't blame them for doing that. So there was that element to it. But, and again, it's worth saying that this is, this, you know, it's a solo project, but it's a solo EP. It's not a solo album. And it is also, yeah. you know, it, it, it's in this kind of like background music. It's instrumental. It's not, I feel like it would be very different if Hetfield was fronting a new band you know, and, and, and pushing in a different direction. But, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad it exists. And um, I just wanted to, I'm just kind of interested in terms of yourself, in terms of your tastes, because I'm very much a kind of instrumental guy. I listen to a lot of instrumental music. Like, is this in your wheelhouse or was listening to this a bit different to your normal sort of diet? Well, uh, you know, going back and forth with, uh, with uh, emailing back and forth between the oh. two of us, I, I said this could be a little intimidating for me just because, uh, you know, solo instrumental things like this uh, are not really my jam right no. so uh and i know that it is for you so uh i you know i i appreciate you know steve you know vi and and all oh, yeah. those all those guys but uh you know it's just not something that i seek out regularly so um you know i was kind of expecting one thing with this ep and i definitely didn't get what i was expecting but um uh, you know, uh, it's 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 very interesting that you bring up the, the fact that this is an EP and this is something with a much larger band. And even going back to Newstead, thinking about, uh, you know, he really wanted to tour that band around. He wanted mm -hmm. to take a year off and do all that kind of things. I mean, Kirk Hammett obviously uh, isn't wasn't planning on doing a tour. No. So I think that's another um, avenue that they were looking at, the, the, you know, and supporting and a reason to support it. Mm, yeah, and uh, so getting into the song itself, um, mm -hmm. this is called The Gin, and, you know, some people may be aware of kind of what that means in terms of uh, mythology and history and the gin. Uh, he, he spelt it slightly differently, Kirk, to how it's kind of treated. It's spelt in many ways. It's often spelt with a D at the start of it as well, but basically it's kind of, you know, pre-Islamic culture and kind of mm -hmm. invisible creatures and, you know, the angel on your shoulder sort of thing. But Kirk himself had spoke about the tune in horror terms, you know, in terms of it being kind of atmospherically evoking your sort of plan nine from outer space and those kind of mm -hmm. 50, 60 genres and then also simultaneously you have kind of the western ideas of, you know, Clint Eastwood and spaghetti westerns from Europe and all that sort of stuff. And right. I mean, that's one of the elements that I've always loved about Kirk, that Kirk has always done. I mean, you can look at old Kerrang issues from, you know, early 80s and Kirk's with his, you know, his Japanese monster collection and Gundam and werewolf and stuff like that. And that's what I appreciate about it, really, that there's a lot of his personality that we know and love embedded into this track, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's it's very interesting doing a little bit of research on it. I was thinking, you know, and, and I don't know, I'm just assuming here, mm. but the, the first two songs on the album, I think were, uh, as I read in a Rolling Stone article, that it was for an exhibit. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was going to be the touring exhibit of his uh, monster collection or horror That's collection. Right. And, um, you know, as someone, this is a hot take here, as someone who actually creates exhibits for a living, oh. uh, you know, I, I really think it does a comparable job for what it, what that is uh, doing. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the same time, I also feel like this song um, kind of, uh, how do I want to put this? Well, let's put it like how uh, Lars would say it. it, it it's it's kind of stock. Stock, right? and yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it, but that, that means it's working for what it's intended to do, which is to be sort of this background uh, mood evoking type of song. 
uh, as you're as you're going around into it uh, and then roaming through an exhibit. So mm -hmm. I, I really think that uh, these uh, I'm guessing these first two songs are that. Now the other two songs I think he works with uh, Edwin Outwater on there, and I think yes. it's a little more fleshed out, and I think it's a little more interesting and intricate. Um, but uh, we can get into that if, later if we want. Yeah, to yeah. So, so I mean, let, let's get into the tune. So, so yeah, it, it is worth keeping in mind, like you say, that this isn't like you mentioned Steve Vai before. This isn't like mm -hmm. an instrumental track, just an instrumental track. You know what I mean? It is meant to be right. a kind of, you know, a background, a basis, an ambient, something to kind of you know dig into but it's also it is something you can get your teeth into this isn't like a brian eno music for airports it just kind of washes over you in a beautiful <laughs> sort of way like this sure. has riffs and this has motifs and this has ideas and you know so we begin um you know the bass is very important early on it's got that kind of heroic pulse the drums beating and one of the things that i will say that because I, I i do really like this track like I, I take your stock comment absolutely but i do i do quite enjoy this song and i do enjoy it a lot more than most of 72 seasons that i've listened to to be honest with you i probably <laughs> i probably enjoyed portals on the whole more than i've enjoyed 72 seasons and i think one of the reasons for that john really? is that it's the it's the soundscape. It's very intriguing, you know. I mean, it's a very cliche thing to say. Oh, you've got to listen to this with headphones on, and da 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 da. But I think Kirk and Kirk's producer on this track, we should say as well. You know, there's no Greg Fiddleman, there's no Bob Rock, there's no Fleming Rasmussen. Like the mm -hmm. buck stops with Kirk, and I'm quite impressed. I don't know how you feel with the whole aesthetic of it. I think there's a lot of instruments, there's a lot of kind of different things here, and it feels very. It doesn't feel too metallicery. Like in some places it does, certainly, but it I feel like sure. if if James if James was tasked with writing an instrumental for the background of his car exhibition, which I'm sure would be a great instrumental, don't get me wrong, I don't think it would sound like this. I don't think it would have that nuance that Kirk has imbued it with. Yeah. Um I I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh I, I might not uh, agree with the whole portals like in portals better than 72 seasons but that's that's a whole nother conversation yeah, yeah. but but one of the, but one of the notes that i actually did write down on this was uh i, I was questioning whether or not he wrote all of this mm. um you know i because I, I know that uh, edwin outwater is credited right sure, with sure. uh with the last two songs on there and i don't know if you noticed uh, but um because like on wikipedia it's crediting uh kirk's wife as one of the writers yes and and I looked all over this album trying to find that credit on the album. I couldn't find it. So, but I was just wondering, like, if he wrote all this, my thought is, is it's really showing his skills as a songwriter. Mm. But I really don't think it's highlighting his virtuosity, if that makes sense. No, no, I agree. There are, there are certain moments in this song that we'll get to, like the solo and certain riffs that, yeah, are quite impressive. But it's more his compositional nows, really. That that, yeah. that, I, that I think is interesting. And, you know, for the first kind of 90 seconds, it's very classic Metallica. Da -da 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 -da. You know, we have these kind of lines building on top of each other, kind of interweaving. There's this kind of call and response. There's this scaffolding. There's the there's the, there's the crevice here. There's the, the swirl of it, you know, which I really kind of appreciate. And, and the back and forth and back and forth. I really like the bass on this track as well. I think, I, 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 you know, I like the pulse of it. I like the fact that the bass kind of, uh, you know, responds to Kirk in certain ways. Obviously, the bass isn't Robert. The bass is a guy called Philip Bussinet, who, you know, um, I've got to be honest with you, John. When I went onto Wikipedia of Portal's EP, I searched for every single name on here. Uh, I know that Bob Rock did the mixing, which is very, very cool as well. And there's certain people were involved in here, but certain people, you know, don't have profiles. You don't quite know who they are. They're, they're studio guys, you know, they're Kirk guys sort of thing. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, 
there's kind of a, a nice catharsis to this. I like um, sort of 90 seconds in when the chords kind of come in and they sort of crash in and the, the strings are kind of pulsing up and they have this nice nice line to it. I mean, what what do you think of sort of the first, say, minute and a half before we get to the arpeggio at two minutes? What, what do you think of that whole section? Well, I do like I do like the build up. Mm. Right. So it, it is a really good build up. And I really kind of looked at the song as, as kind of three acts in this mm, first mm. act here. It's it, it. There is this nice slow crescendo, like you said. There's this really good build up. I uh, I feel like the riff is kind of lacking a little bit that yeah. it starts out with. Uh, I feel like that's something that just about anybody who's noodling around on the guitar uh, might might come up with. <laughs> but you know, it, it built like you said, it builds and it gets more intricate and it, and it and it becomes more and more interesting as 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 the song goes on. But yeah, I, I would say like. It takes a little while for me to get into it with that with that first ninety seconds as you, as you're talking about. I feel I feel you I feel you, and I think it's 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 similar to um to the track that precedes it, Made in the Monster, as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's I mean, God bless him. Kirk has been writing songs with James Hetfield for forty years, and James loves a build up. James loves like two minutes of just kind of establishing what's going on, and then we're going to get into the riff, you know, and then we're going to yeah, go here, right. and 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 that's fair enough. So so yeah, we have this kind of opening. 90 seconds so then 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 there's a break and then it gives way to an arpeggio which feels like it could be in the middle of master or it could be in the middle of justice you know james loves these arpeggios it could be at the start of a day that never comes it's this Mm -hmm. kind of open chord arpeggio which which which, which is fine which does what it does and and the strings there and, and and it kind of goes through my favorite part of the song is the repetitive motif that begins on the strings and that Kirk jumps into the na 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 like I feel like this Kirk really rings this for all it's worth you know the strings will jump on it the bass will jump on it it has like an odd almost Frank Zappa like time signature I'm not saying it's like really like hard to get a handle on what you're listening to but again it's not stock I think a lot of elements of this tune are stock but I feel like this part I really like it's quite proggy it's quite devilish I, I think it has a real energy to it. Um, I'm just a big fan of this. You know, this, this, this returns throughout the song. This na 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 na. You know, this, this is kind of thing. And again, it feels like you're a bit in an exhibition. It feels like you're just kind of half listening to it, and then it's coming back into the mix. But um, I don't know what you feel about this whole idea that runs through the tune. Uh, no, I think it. I think it is a good uh, uh, vehicle to mm. keep building upon and layer upon, which is which is what it does. And so uh, it's just really a good vehicle to to uh, build upon uh, as, as everything starts uh, crescendoing, as you keep as you said before. And so um, it, it's. I, I actually lost my train of thought. No, no, there. yeah, no. It's it's a little. I will I will say. Uh, you know, uh, not in John's defense, because this is a really fun episode, don't get me wrong, but it is quite hard to talk about an instrumental song, isn't it? Because it's like, <laughs> you're like, I'm sort of like, at this two minute mark, and da da da. Whereas if we're talking about a normal song, I'd be like, the verse, the chorus, the bridge, you know. Right. So, so I, de- I definitely get what you're saying. So, um, something else that sticks out to me in the song that I really appreciate. So, one of the reasons I do like this song, um, I, I, you know, John, you listen to the podcast, you'll be familiar with this, or listener will be familiar with this. I do critique Kirk quite hard on the solos. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I think the problem is he showed such great work early on that it's kind of like when he's a bit more stock, it's a bit like whatever. But I, I, you know, I love his solo on this. It's really cathartic. It's really expressive. I think the, the chords are the down, 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 you know, underneath. And he's just mm-hmm. wailing up top. Again, I wouldn't say particularly note-wise he's telling 
compelling, uh, uh, you know, a really invigorating story. But I feel like it's not like 72 Seasons, it's not like Hardwired where he's getting stuck on the fretboard. He's getting trapped in these pentatonic shapes. I feel like here, he's mm-hmm. just letting loose, you know, and I, I, I really find it quite invigorating, his solo work here. Uh, yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I, I do think that this is a little more intricate than uh, what he's been doing in the mm. past, I don't know, a uh, couple of albums with Metallica, uh, that you're right, he does get kind of stuck in those in those uh, those uh, pentatonic shapes, like you said, or the, the, the uh, you know, the blue scales. And things like that, and relying on the wah, he's not doing that either here, uh, which is no. is, which is a uh, uh, refreshing. A, a much needed change, right? I guess. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's it is refreshing and nice to hear that. It is, it is, and you know, as we move through the song as well. So, you know, it's quite a long tune, to be honest with you, and you're very right in saying that it kind of essentially has three movements. It kind of has, you know, your beginning, the call and response thing. It has the that bit and the solo. And then it has like a nice bit towards the end where um, it has like a real head knocker of a riff that feels to me similar to like a Cthulhu or an Orion or mm. a Suicide and Redemption where, you know, these instrumentals where they're... Because the riff I'm talking about is the one that's like... Nah, nah, nah. You know, that sort of thing. Like, it's not really much movement to it. But Kirk, unlike James, doesn't like to stay too long on a riff, you know. And we Mm -hmm. get this interesting point towards the end. It reminds me like Seek and Destroy, where it has this descending... You know, it has that kind of pentatonic drop to it. Um, I really like that. That feels like an old sort of killable throwback to me in quite a progressive tune altogether. Yeah, I, uh, it it really does have that uh, feel to it. Uh, it it kind of does give that thrashy feel. You said prog rock a little mm, earlier. Mm. Uh, it does kind of have that uh, that kind of um, flavor to it. Yeah. And uh, I I I'll say that as I've listened to this, I've listened to this song quite a bit over the yeah, last I'm sure. year yeah. or so, right? So I will say my first listenings to this, I was really not into it. No. At all. Uh, and I ha- it's really kind of grown on me. Uh, I even at a couple points on my I'm looking at uh, some of my notes here. Like I, one point I was like, I can't even hum this. Like I, I listened to it <laughs> and I, it's, it's not memorable. No. But, you know, you listen to it a little more and more and you kind of get that feeling. Yeah. But at one point I wrote down and that this kind of has a Trans-Siberian Orchestra vibe mm. to, me, to it. And I didn't necessarily mean that as a positive thing. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, because to me, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, I, I, you know, they, they tour around the United States all the time yeah, uh, yeah. during Christmas time, playing all the Christmas music. And that's the least metal thing you could possibly do. But uh, it, at the same time, uh, those are all accomplished musicians. Right. So mm-hmm. and I really feel like he is showing some uh, different layers uh, by adding this. And you're right that that the, that riff does slightly change and it continues to change and he doesn't hang on to it as much as James typically does in a Metallica song. And uh, that it does make it a little more interesting. But I think that's something that my ear doesn't necessarily pick up immediately. No. Uh, so it, it takes me a while to kind of pick that up, because like I said, uh, you know, instrumentals like this isn't like something that I will go to all the time. Um, so uh, but that that is a very good point that you're making there. No, no, I hear you. And, um, you know, one of the things that I found when I was listening to 72 Seasons, like, 
it's hard for me to get a song in my head properly unless I see someone playing it on guitar and I can see the tab in front of me and I can kind of understand everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. that was very useful with 72 Seasons because obviously it's Metallica. So as soon as the album dropped, there was loads of really talented Italian, you know, teenage virtuosos just playing every note. And it's like, okay, cool. I can see what the riffs are. And I would like to see this being played live. I, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's chopped together in the studio like Kirk's solos are on Hardwired. Like there is a kind of natural progression to it. It is a really cool song song and there are you know I, I especially like the fact that he uses the cello a lot in this tune um yeah in, in a really interesting way you know metallica have a lot of string arrangements in their songs but often it's just kind of a bed of strings that feels like it's on a synth and it's kind of like sure whereas here the cello is front and center and you know often it comes in and it has a really mournful elegiac quality so i do really appreciate about that about the tune and um I, I quite like the gin, to be honest with you. I don't, again, I'm not going to like say it's like an ultimate instrumental track, track to me. It doesn't really hold a candle to any of the great mm-hmm. Metallica instrumentals. But as we've established before, it's not in that world. It's more of a kind of background song. But I feel like that's almost an insult to call it a background song because I think it, it's very thoughtfully put together. And I think Kirk is, you know, not outside his comfort zone, but I think he's, 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 he's proved... I think I think Kirk is not outside his comfort zone, but he's still kind of, you know, he's pushing the envelope a little bit. Like, uh, you know, I love Jason Newstead, but Echo Brain and Newstead are kind of what you expect the basis of Metallica's solo projects to sound like. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's mm-hmm. not quite Hepfield, but it's almost there. Whereas this is like, I think I think Kirk is, uh, you know, he, he's he's at least reaching out, he's branching out. He's he's not just doing blues-based pentatonic wah stuff. I mean, there's a bit of wah in here, whatever, but. It's a bit more um, energetic. It's a bit more adventurous. You know, uh, it's quite admirable what 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 he's done here. Yeah, uh, the, he has, and it's it's uh, it's interesting that I actually think this is the the least interesting song on the album. Mm, mm. To be, be honest with you, I, I actually enjoy the the second side a, a whole lot more oh, yeah, than yeah. the first. But uh, you, you mentioned it's not a background song or anything like that, and and um, you know, this is one of those that I'll put on my record player and. I'll put it on there as I'm doing things around the, the apartment sure. uh, as, to be something that I, I can ignore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So it, it's like it's like good music to have in the background. But you're, you're but it's so I, I'm, I'm kind of different looking at it differently than you are on that. Mm-hmm. that end. But as, as ever, dear listeners, get in touch with me on MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the gin and any any final thoughts, John, before we move on from this. Any final thoughts on this song? Uh, final thoughts here. Let me see if I have anything else in my notes. Um, I've got a lot of notes as well, but I feel like yeah, we've covered a lot here. It's an interesting. It, it, it is. It is an interesting tune, and um, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it, it again. It's refreshing. It's not kind of boring. It's not a name, but um, have, have we covered it all, John? Have we said all that needs to be said on the gin? <laughs> I think so. Like I said, you know, yeah. I, I I think it, it set out. It was set out for an exhibit and uh, mm-hmm. it to set some sort of mood, and I think that's it, it definitely accomplished that. And so I have to give him credit for that. Yeah, it's um because uh, I'm you know I've recently moved into my first home in Birmingham, and I um you know I I I'm looking for stuff to put on my shelf, and I'm a big fan of graphic novels. I like to collect coffee table books, hardcover books, mm-hmm. and I do really want the book that. Kirk uh, released to accompany the exhibition that this was accompanying to. Although I right. uh, maybe it wasn't because 
I'm looking at Amazon now. It's too much horror business. It's called, and it's 183 pounds, which is a lot of money for a book. Oh. I mean, that is a bit. But, but you know, it's Metallica. It's collectible. I get it. But to be fair, that would have been 2012, and this would have been 2022. So I don't know. Maybe you wrote them before. I'm not sure. Maybe it's been a long time uh, in the tank. But um, but yeah. So this is the gin, anyway, uh, dear listeners. And if anyone has a copy of Too Much Horror Business that they want to send to me, please, uh, please get in touch. I'll give them my address. But um. John, we've not had you on the podcast before, so yeah. as is tradition with Al Metallica, I like to get to know my guests. I like to get to know their sort of Metallica preferences. So, mm-hmm. um, in general, we're not just talking about portals here. You can talk about any Metallica album you want. Um, what What is your favorite song of Metallica all, all over? Oh, uh, that, I mean, that's a pretty easy answer. That that would be one. Oh, I mean, my God. I know that's I know that's uh, so you know. Good. That's kind of a stock answer, but... Uh, it's one of their best songs. I mean, it's undeniably one of their best songs, and they've written a lot right. of good songs, yeah. They have, and I mean, that's the one that introduced me to the band, right? So, like I said, I was an MTV kid. That that video came on a lot um, mm. when that, when that uh, album was released, and uh, I just remember being enthralled by it. And so it's still one of those um, songs that I, 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 you know, continue to try to learn and play. Well, you you, 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 yeah, you mentioned you play and you're a guitar mm-hmm. guy as well. So I've, I've, I've always fascinated. I was fascinated as a kid. I'm fascinated as an adult. One, Fade to Black, Sanitarium. They all use that same 2-4, don't they? That same 2-4 yeah. shape. But they all make it their own. It, they don't feel they really do. like it's 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 kind of it's kind of wild how James does that. I'm sure we we see that. Well, well, well there's a someone local two by four. Maybe he was signaling towards the two and four. I don't know. I mean, it's just a coincidence. But um, favorite album by Metallica. Oh, see, that one's tough. Um, the, it depends on what day you ask mm. me, right? So. Uh, but I mean, right now it would be, uh, I want to say 72 seasons just to get a reaction, but <laughs> I <laughs> over portals, <laughs> but, uh, no, honestly, it, it would, it would probably be injustice for all would yeah. be that number one album for oh, me. It's, right. it, that's, that's the one that I was really introduced to first. Sure. Uh, and then when the black album came out that just, uh, you know, of course they just, you know, were huge by that point. And, uh, uh, you know, you couldn't get away from hearing no. all all the songs off of that one, but uh, definitely injustice for all favorite member. Ah, uh, you know, I, I'm a guitarist, mm. right? But I, I have always had this soft spot for Newstead. I right. have. Yeah. He's very lovable, isn't he? He's very likable. He is. Yeah, he is. And he's very fan friendly. You know, oh. he always seemed like he was very down to earth uh, and, and someone that, you know, you felt like, um, who got it, you know, he, and yeah. he's just, his stage presence for, he, oh my I'm, God. Not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to badmouth bassist here. Oh, of course. His, his stage presence for a bassist, uh, you know, in a, in a huge band like that with all these different gigantic personalities, uh, and for him to still stand out. I mean, that's just, you know, you're right. Mind-blowing. You're right. You're right. It was, it was a poison chalice. It was an impossible gig replacing Cliff, but he did do it. He actually did it like, you know, he didn't falter. He didn't wilt. It was like, you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. And his background vocals as well. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say, as someone who was listening to Metallica in my formative years and, 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 you know, as a teenager, you know, I will say Kirk Hammett was just like a a god to me, you Mm. know, you know, and you wanted to play like Kirk Hammett. Oh, yeah. I I will say that uh, I I love his playing. But I mean, Jason Newstead is definitely my uh, favorite uh, member of the band. And, and seeing the band live, have you seen them at all? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen them a few times, mm. uh, and it depends on if you want to count this, but I do. Mm. I count their. I count. Uh, I mean, drive-ins aren't a huge thing over over in Europe, right? No, but, not uh, really. Movie drive-in. But they they did a concert via drive-in and during the pandemic. Yes, that's uh, right. And so I do count that one. So yeah, of I, I, I do say I went to four concerts. Uh, I, my first one was in February of uh, 97. So it was right after Load had come out, a few months after Load. Um, and I saw them at uh, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, which doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Uh, you know, that, that would have been, I was 15 years old, and uh, that would have been the first concert that I went to mm. with uh, out of parental chaperone. Oh, nice. My buddy. My buddy Jason had just gotten his driver's license, and we went, uh, and uh, it was an amazing show. And is that one where they, um, where like the the set starts to fall apart at the end? And then uh, they... I'm I'm uh, I'm just looking at the at the set list. Actually, it was uh, February sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven, and yes. so what opened it, which was classic. Uh, mm-hmm. And then oh my god, creeping death into sad but true. Into Ain't My Bitch, Into Hero of the Day, King Nothing One. Wasting My Hate was the eighth track, which is a rare yeah. one as well. Like, yeah. Which is actually my favorite song off a of load, by the way. So. Really? I mean, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Wasting My Hate is not better than Until It Sleeps. Respectfully. Uh, Respectfully. Yeah, like. yeah. yeah, that's uh, No, no, no. I don't mind Wasting My Hate. It's kind of like, yeah, it's that back-end load, like, you know. It's got that little bluesy sound. To me yeah, there. yeah. It's very loady. Yeah. Uh, and, and did you, what, you saw them... Do you see them uh, like what you saw them like, say, Anger, Death Magnetic, that sort of era afterwards? Well, or? well then I saw them the next year in 98. I saw oh, yeah. them again in Indianapolis at Deer Creek. Uh, and it was uh, – and actually, the, I remember you did an episode on a band's uh, – opening bands. Yes. For, for Metallica. And uh, one of the bands that you mentioned was Days of the New. Oh, yes. Uh, the Kickstand. The what band. was that song they did? Don't oh geez. yeah, that, that was their big single. I remember that band. Yeah, from from doing uh, yeah, episode. it was yeah, yeah. them and uh, Jerry Cantrell. Oh nice. He had just come out with his, uh, I think it was his first solo album. Uh, Shelf in the Room was the days of the new album or song. I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, um, uh, yeah, Jerry Cantrell had "Cut You In" was a single from like Bog. The album's like him. He's in a swamp on the album cover. I seem yep. to remember. Yeah, yeah. he's like rubbing mud on his. Yeah, his yeah. Yeah, he, uh, it was the Days of the New opened, and then it was uh, him, and then, of course, Metallica. Uh, and the, a very cool story with that is um, after he uh, finished his set, Jerry Cantrell finished his set, we were walking around and um, uh, getting ready for the, the Metallica to come on, and I bu- accidentally bumped into someone, and I kind of turned and said, oh, I'm so sorry, and I realized who I was talking to, which was Jerry Cantrell, and he mm. was just bopping around in the audience and he kind of I think he recognized that I had just recognized who he was and he just slowly raised his finger up to his lips as in like just stay quiet <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a really cool moment uh, yeah but uh, th- yeah that I saw them uh, in 97 98 and then uh, I saw them again finally in uh, I, I think I think it was in 2020 when they did the drive-in show which oh yeah was actually pretty darn cool to see it was like a weird you know pandemic type of thing but uh, it was really kind of cool to go to an old drive-in and, and uh, see Metallica on the big screen like that. Uh, and then uh, I just last year, I saw, um, my wife and I went out to Buffalo and we saw them play in Buffalo. So. Oh, nice! Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, they're they're obviously still at it. It's it's kind of ridiculous to me that they hit Indianapolis Indianapolis twice in two years. It's just like it's it's testament to how much they tour, right? They were just everywhere. Oh gosh, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. And I feel like 
I feel like they may have even gone back in '99, and I. I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't, and I, and I, you know, I didn't go for some reason or another. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And uh, and the final question. This is always my favorite question to ask guests. And I have a feeling that I might know your answer from our emails, but maybe, maybe you'll say differently. Um, uh. <laughs> if you were to do a podcast like Alf Metallica about a band that you love, who would you do it against? Who would you do it about, John? Uh, you know, I've heard you ask this question many times mm. to other people. Uh, and uh, it's funny that you you think you know what I'm going to say, but <laughs> actually, uh, it's it's honestly, I, I would do a Warren Zevon. Oh, that is a that is a deep cut choice. I respect that choice. I don't. I I know I, I know who he is. Like I'm quite a music head myself, but I I couldn't tell you a song. I just know he's one of those guys. But uh, well, that that is a good choice. Yeah. Werewolves of London, of course, would be the big hit. Okay. Uh, that he had. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I truly believe his first. There's there's a couple of bands, right? So I, I would say Metallica's first five albums. Pearl Jam's first five albums. Mm. Are just, there's everything on there is a banger, right? I love Pearl Jam. Yeah, it, there's not a misstep, and Agreed. I really believe if you add, if you uh, do, uh, I think the first five, five, six, Zevon albums, I think it's the same thing. Every single song is just a classic or a masterpiece in my mind. Uh, so all the way from um, his self-titled to uh, Sentimental Hygiene. Uh, it's, so uh, I just think he is one of a prolific songwriter, mm. and uh, I would love to do a podcast about him. Um, and actually, it's something that uh, my wife and I have discussed doing, and this is pre-pandemic, before everybody's yeah. jumping in the podcast. But uh, it's just something that's gotten away from us and we haven't been able to do. But uh, uh, yeah, that would be the one. No, that's a good... I, you know, I've always said on the show, like, we are still... Even though we're in 2023, we are still in the wild west of music podcasts. There are so like, there's not a big Soundgarden podcast, which blows my mind. I mean, they're one of my favorite bands. They're a giant band. No one's done a proper. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, so Warren Zevon's a great. You know, I mean, you're talking like, you know, analogous to that, it'd be like no one's done a Steve Earle podcast or no one's done a Towns Van Zant podcast or you know, mm-hmm. don't don't do a Metallica one. There's a million of us out there. There, there. There's no more room. But but yeah, there's so many. And um, I mean, the band I was also making reference to that uh, I've slagged off a few times on the show. And I know <laughs> I know they're much loved by many Americans. And, and a good friend of mine, uh, Javier, I've had on the podcast. Uh, we did an episode about Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. You're a big fan of STP, right? Yeah, I am. I am a big st- a fan, and I, you know, I, I laugh every time that I've I've heard you uh, say something. <laughs> Negative it's from love it, it comes from a place of love i uh i think it was because when i was young one of the first bands that i got into was velvet revolver um mm-hmm. the first band that i ever saw live my entire life was velvet revolver in birmingham uh, oh, i was a bit okay. i was a big gnr fan and scott was good to be fair i'm pretty sure he was wearing nazi paraphernalia on stage and he was okay. singing singing through a, a you know a, a bull horn but um I don't know. The older I get, the more I do respect him. And um, they have that album, The Gift Shop, right? I I read an article oh. about that recently that, that made me want to listen to it. Uh, are you talking about the Tiny, tiny Music? Uh, yeah, Tiny Vatican Music gift from shop? the... Yeah, yeah. I, I know it has yeah. a gift shop in the title, yeah. Yep, uh, that, that's their third album. I, I, I think that one's a, a, a great album. Uh, I, I truly, I you know, again, formative years, 90s. So oh, yeah. Uh, grunge, uh, you know, is is my thing, right? Mm-hmm. Alternative mm-hmm. grunge, I love it, and oh, yeah, uh, I, I truly think that their second album, Purple, uh, is probably one of the top five grunge albums. Um, and it's just, I think, 
anywhere from Interstate Love Song, of course, uh, to uh, I'm and now it's escaping me the song that was on the Crow soundtrack that's on there as well. Um, is is just a fantastic um, album. Uh, I will be I'll be honest. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of their their first album, Core. Uh, sure. I think. Uh, I think the engineering on that one just got lost. Like I think a lot of the sound just kind of got muddled together, mm. and it's best. Uh, but Purple and uh, Tiny Music, the, the one you were just uh, referring yeah. to, I think are just fantastic. Okay, okay. Well, well, this has been this has been a blast as always uh, covering the gin there. So do get in touch with MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about the song. Let me know if you want to hop on and discuss something from the blacklist as well because we're going to be digging into that cover extravaganza. As I say, I felt that doing fifty-one songs on fifty-one episodes on the fifty-one songs was a little bit of overkill. So we're gonna we're gonna pass it out a little more wider. But we are looking for guests. I need lots of guests on. So metallicaproducer.com uh hit us up on patreon as well we've got the so what files there and you can get access to our video series and also you know do what john has done recently go back through the archive listen to all the episodes seek out all my criticisms with stone temple pilots and elsewhere <laughs> and all the other stuff. and john mentioned um an episode that i did solo that i'm very proud of my uh every band that's ever supported metallica that took me a lot of research to do and i was i was you know i was really into doing that and um the similar episodes as well in the archive like i did an episode where i talked about every time metallica have appeared in a tv their songs have appeared on tv or film as well and there's lots of interesting sort of tidbits there also but um john is there anything yourself you'd like to promote before we close uh, well, you know, I guess look out for a Warren Zevon podcast. Hey, no, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, aside from that, no, I don't really have anything. Uh, you know, uh, my Twitter is, uh, James Sinjin Smythe. Uh, there we go. Is, uh, a to a uh, James Bond movie. So, uh, you know, feel free to follow me there. All right. All right. Well, uh, no, this has been great. I am going to go and listen to Bad Luck Streak in Dancing School which is nice. yeah i imagine a great zevon album no, I'm, I'm gonna listen to some zevon i'm gonna get i'm gonna some zevon so uh yeah i'm gonna head there uh as always guys uh follow us at metallic pod get in touch with metallicapod.gmail.com patreon is there itunes spotify leave us review all that good stuff but john this has been really fun thanks again for your time tom it's been a pleasure i, I appreciate uh, your time and i i'm so happy i finally got to be on your show